0: Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix, where each month we focus on IT innovations that are moving federal agencies forward.
1: Welcome to episode four of the IT Innovation Insider. For this episode, we're focusing on cybersecurity, a shared responsibility. And we're changing things up a little bit. Instead of my usual guest, Chris Howard, the vice president of public sector for Nutanix, we have two new experts. Dan Fallon is the director of engineering for Nutanix. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Dave Reber is the Director of Cybersecurity for Nutanix Frame. Dave, welcome to the program as well. Excited to be here. So we know Nutanix, we've been talking about Nutanix for quite a while. Nutanix Frame, just give us the 30 seconds of what Nutanix Frame is. So Nutanix
2: Frame allows you to run any Windows application in a browser. We take full advantage of running a a desktop-as-a-service capability to securely publish those workloads for you. We also have both a commercial region and a FedRAMP-ready government region to enable our federal customers.
1: All right, that's a good 30 seconds. You you, you practiced that, I could tell, (laughs) just a little (laughs) bit. Excellent. All right, well, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so we're going to discuss some of the most common concerns and considerations for organizational and personal security. Now, we know the separation between work and personal resources are increasingly less distinct. And more digital natives in the workforce than ever before are kind of making that problem or challenge even more incredible. Now, cybersecurity is emerging as a full shared responsibility. This means there are important roles and obligations for everyone, not just the cyber team. With so much at stake, we can't afford to assume that somebody else is handling that cybersecurity challenges. We need to remember we're only secure as our weakest link, Something uh, an old adage we've heard many times over the years. And as agencies move to the cloud, one of the things I've heard time and again is you can't just pass the buck to the cloud provider. That's the shared responsibility piece. So l- let me turn to Dan to lead us off a little bit. And, and as we t- start talking about security and the cloud and the, as the two things come together,
0: what are some of those things that, that agencies should keep in mind? What's the shared thread? Just to emphasize the point on as agencies move to the cloud, some of the surveys we've done over the past couple of years do highlight that security is one of the top concerns. So it's obviously top of mind as agencies tackle their cloud strategy and there are a lot of different items to consider. And as you move outside your the boundaries of your data center, obviously you want to control where the data is going, make sure it's in a in a secure cloud boundary. And then you have to really look at it not just from the underlying cloud, the infrastructure in the cloud, but also your applications and your users. So a lot of people think, Oh, Amazon secure, I'm good to go. But there's a lot above the Amazon layer that you have to worry about. And I think that's, you know, as people really get their heads around cloud and what it means, it, you can't pass the buck. Like you said, there have to be different expectations, not only on your public cloud provider, but also when you're looking at hybrid and multi-cloud strategies, the different applications and the vendors that you're bringing in your on-prem in the hybrid strategy. It's interesting. You said there's a lot of things to consider, a lot
1: of items. What's on your checklist? When you talk to clients in the federal market, do you have this? Do you do this? Do you look at
0: that? What's on the checklist? From my perspective, because Nutanix traditionally, we're, we're focusing a lot in the private cloud space and the hybrid cloud space. We're looking at what are they doing around data security, data encryption? What are they doing to automate? What clouds are they looking at? And I think, you know, we're kind of focusing just on the basics there. Uh, What are their compliance standards? There are a lot of different standards that are ever changing. Um, And showing them how we can check the box with a product that takes security more as a, um, you know, built in versus a typical bolt on approach. Um, I want to toss it over to Dave, though, because he has a much better answer probably for the public cloud environments. All right, Dave, jump in.
2: A lot of organizations, what they forget is they're still going to have their legacy infrastructure there. So as we focus on this hybrid cloud model, you're still always going to have to connect to public, both your private resources and what you put in the public cloud. The cloud is great because it allows you to scale out and automate things that traditionally would take a lot of time. However, the cloud is negative for the same reason in the sense that your administrators, your developers can make a mistake quicker, and now you're exposed publicly on the internet. So when we talk about cloud, the same type of governance conversations come into play and how do you automate in security checks, in security appliance and provide visibility to make rapid response decisions for when those mistakes are made. Um, So from a technology perspective, it really comes down to also how do you pair your on-prem network with that cloud environment because you still have users physically somewhere and how can you kind of get an enterprise cloud view across both ecosystems uh, in a unified manner tends to be one of their biggest challenges for their end users.
1: You bring up a couple things that that I think are important. Let me back up the automation piece. We hear about automation orchestration. That's another one of those key buzzwords we hear time and again. Is that part of this, as Dan was looking through kind of the checklist of things, if, if you have a provider, if you are Adding that automation and orchestration piece to it that can help you get to make sure that that responsibility is shared. What are you doing? How are you doing it? Let me see it. Maybe talk a little bit about your experiences with an, an automation orchestration piece.
2: What we've done uh, or in my kind of previous areas, what we've looked at is how do we automate the security checks while the developers are rolling code out or capabilities out to their workforce so that this way you get real time feedback when you mess something up. Did you open up? say SSH, or did you open up a vulnerable port and expose it to the internet? How can you quickly give that to your cyber teams and your IT teams to go fix and give that feedback near real time, if not instant, uh, to go yell at those developers when when they mess something up? But that also enables organization to do rapid development and prototyping. Um, If you give them the ability to make their changes, but give them the ability to see where they're non-compliant or remediate it quickly, you can balance agility, speed with both security and compliance at the same time.
0: Dan, jump in. Yeah, I think one thing with the automation um, that Dave was hitting on is really getting the human factor out of introducing security vulnerabilities. Some of the public cloud compromises we've seen are from human factor, just not securing leaving open uh, buckets in AWS, and that, that's just an admin error. When you can automate that end-to-end, you can obviously avoid some of those uh, simpler errors from the human factor. So that's a, that's a big benefit from bringing the automation in to the cloud environment. And here, I thought you were going to say,
1: uh, why did uh, Dave start messing with coders and blaming the coders? You can yell (laughs) coders. I mean, director of engineering, I figured that was what you're going to go down that path, but that's okay, too. One of the things I heard recently at at a cyber event was all about the little things, the hygiene. And we talk about hygiene all the time, and I know it gets a little bit old, but really what you're saying is automate that hygiene piece, because we as humans will, will make that mistake. And I think that that plays a key role. And in, in as you're developing, you're designing for security. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. Let me let me maybe turn to uh, Dave and jump in on this piece of the hygiene piece and how, if those cloud providers that are using automation, like I would guess Nutanix,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that can kind of help agencies and other organizations kind of deal with that hygiene
2: issue. Yes. It's all about defense in depth. What we're looking to help provide the organizations is how do you automate a consistent baseline, consistent deployment. So if you deploy a common thing the same way each time, right, you can easily then add the defense in depth from a monitoring perspective, right? If it's a predictable network infrastructure, you're able to write automated rules to know when something has fallen out of line and fallen out of compliance with what your secure baseline is. So if you tackle it from both ends to help automate and help, and that's what we're trying to deliver for our customers, The other thing is looking at, in order to survive on the internet, you have to be a moving target. So even if you have a vulnerability, if you constantly are redeploying to reduce an attacker's ability to maintain persistence on your box or on your server or on your network, you can constantly get them out. So we look at how can you help people automate deployments so that your upgrade is essentially an automated redeploy.
1: And Dan, jump in because one of the things that Dave said was regarding if you're constantly moving... Right? Are you, from an engineering perspective, how do you engineer that constantly moving? Like
0: my data is here today, but there tomorrow. Yeah, and the uh, the term multi-cloud starts to come up more and more. When you think about, all right, I want to be on-prem today in my private cloud. I want to be able to burst out to a public cloud for seasonal workloads, and maybe I need to deploy to the edge for some type of tactical environment. So those are three different environments. But like Dave said, for the best security and the best standardization. I want it all to be the same. So when I deploy the same app in all three environments, I want it to look and feel and and be repeatable. So you know, one way Nutanix is doing that in practice, a product called Calm, is being able to develop application blueprints that have hooks into the various APIs. A lot of the automation comes to driving towards APIs and standardizing your build out so that I can say, build once, deploy many build my application and rather than the traditional mindset of I'm going to give it to the server guy and then the OS guy and then the person who installs the actual app, I can have it all through one automated workflow and make it standard and repeatable. So
1: let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can kind of jump into the shared responsibility uh, section of the show. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix, on federalnewsradio.com, part of the
3: Federal News Network. A recent survey revealed that at least 50% of federal agencies are using multiple clouds in their IT environment. Combine that with the legacy infrastructure that most agencies still use, and you can imagine the complexity and the limitations of such an environment. But federal agencies are adopting Nutanix to simplify and manage this complexity. Nutanix software-driven infrastructure and enterprise cloud give IT freedom from complexity, freedom to work with any cloud, to run any application at the scale they need, to use whatever technology stack suits them, and to invent the technology that will move their mission forward. To learn more about how Nutanix is helping organizations simplify their IT environments, visit Nutanix.com slash freedom. Welcome back. to listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix, on
1: federalnewsradio.com and part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guests today are Dan Fallon, the Director of Engineering for Nutanix, and Dave Reber, the Director of Cybersecurity for Nutanix Frame. i think it was episode two but it may have been episode three when chris was on the show he actually used a really interesting example of not every application or not every workload is good for the cloud and this idea of certain workloads are better because they're consistent and maybe the cloud doesn't make sense but when you have the spikes and the ups and downs of a workload that really is where maybe cloud can play a bigger role and maybe dan this is a question for you but from a security standpoint right if you have a workload that has those spikes and and more people hitting your system at this time of the month versus the rest of the month, does that cause more challenges from a a security perspective? That's an engineering question, but it's also a security question. So both can (laughs) jump in.
0: It's a hybrid. Yeah. So the (laughs) look at that, I'm in the cloud already. I'm hybrid. (laughs) Not being predictable definitely presents a challenge of when you do do security audits, you know, before Nutanix, I was doing uh, lots of virtualization deployments, having to take full solutions through accreditation. And you look at you know, one of the things is availability, and you know, that plays into security. If your system's not available, it's obviously not good. So denial of service, things like that, that can be caused by just regular users hitting your system more than anticipated, and you don't have enough infrastructure to accommodate, or it can be an actual security attack. So you have to have the systems in place to be able to determine, all right, is this, is this friendly or is this enemy, and uh, figure out what to do. Also have the capability to be elastic. So to expand and be able to handle that extra workload. But it does put an extra burden around the monitoring and being able to really dig into the details. You know, what is happening? Our systems being impacted. Where's the load coming from? One of the things we talked about frame at the very beginning, it's really built for seasonal and and bursty and and being able to scale. And so I want to kick it over to Dave because he's got a lot more experience in that area. All right, Dave. The cloud can be
2: very good at helping you solve those problems. So just to kind of echo what Dan was saying is looking at how can you take advantage of auto-scaling and stuff like that to help save yourself from those denial service attacks when they're occurring, because it's no matter if, it's a matter of when it's going to occur. What we've also seen with Frame is looking at how can we support in disaster scenarios, in continuity of operation scenarios where some agencies, they they wanna stay on-prem, whether it's for security reasons, comfort reasons, or sometimes they just don't have good bandwidth links to be able to take full advantage of the cloud. But what happens when their entire workforce has to instantly move because of a hurricane, because of a local disaster, or what happens when they have to move to a disaster to help them. That's where we've had numerous customers where they've onboarded and then realized that all of their workforce has moved from the East Coast to the West Coast because of a hurricane to get their employees out, but they can't move their data center instantly. When taking advantage of the cloud, we can just stand them up a region and move them. But when they're back in their offices or in their middle of a desert or they're wherever they need to be, that's where your on-prem hybrid infrastructure allows you to kind of take advantage of your local data center or your local tactical data center combined with the power of the cloud when you need it.
1: Both very helpful explanations regarding kind of the trend we're seeing, I think, with the cloud. At the beginning of the conversation, I brought up the fact this is obviously cybersecurity awareness month, October, and it's becoming this idea of when you're at work, you're at work, and when you're at home, you're at home, and, and the two are really meshing. There's no kind of the separation has gone long ago. But when it comes to cybersecurity, that meshing, that integration, is becoming a, a bigger factor in protecting against threats, protecting against attacks. So, I guess let me start with Dave and and, and offer me like this: when we see the intersection of the personal work lives and and the cyber, where does the cybersecurity wrapper fit?
2: When I talk to customers and organizations about how do they protect their data and look at their corporate enterprise, what I always like to do is focus on the attacker's perspective. Their objective is to get to your systems, your data for some operational reason, whether to steal your information, compromise your systems, or to take you offline. They are focused on the weakest link. What is the easiest way to get into your organization? And a lot of employees, we we have a giant mobile workforce. That mobile workforce is expanding both in the federal space to try to kind of catch up to which with the commercial side. And you have personal lives and your work lives on the same device. I access my personal email on the same device as my corporate email. And what people don't realize is email is one of the biggest attack vectors and your personal lives are not protected by your corporate enterprise security in that, in that sense. And that's where we can, everybody can become a victim of an attack against their email. But the problem is how does an attacker pivot then into their corporate networks? And that's where, when you look at simple things that you do at work, such as multi-factor authentication, strong passwords, um, you do that, you need to do that on your personal side as well. I mean, I look at some of my family that carry around their passwords in their purses <laughs> or it's the same password for every single thing and it's my my name and my birth date that they're using <laughs> that's not good security hygiene. And if they're on a corporate network, it puts them at risk as
1: well. One of the things that we see time and again is, well, I'm protected because my device has protections or I'm protected because I, I VPN in or I'm protected, they they have this false sense of security. Is that another big problem that you see that people feel like, well, the the cloud in this case is taking care of it, or my network is being taken care of by somebody else. They have to be aware that that's not the case either. Correct, and what a lot of times is, it's because the email came from me that they trust it,
2: or the email came from my boss, or the email came from my mom, that I trust it and they just click on a link. Um, It's very easy to masquerade as anybody on the internet. The internet is not, Trusted is designed to be an untrusted network, so that you can communicate freely across it. Is what it's designed to do, and people need to realize they have to add and figure out what that layer of trust is. How do they communicate, and then how do they protect themselves? The internet and is not there to protect you, and you need to figure that out.
1: The the famous New Yorker cartoon, right? Uh, anyone can be anybody on the yeah. dog on the internet, but at the same time, it's also we're also out of the. Nigerian emails that if you send me $10,000, I'll give you $10 million. I mean, things are much more advanced. And, and maybe, I don't know, if, if Dan wants to jump in a little bit, are you seeing some of this, you know, from an engineering perspective, are you seeing the, the advancements that now are affecting you from the engineering perspective when it comes to the cyber
0: attacks and the threats and the vulnerabilities? At a federal level, there's an ever-increasing focus on security, cybersecurity, obviously cybercom being more and more mature, and uh, the DOD and the civilian agencies having much more robust reporting structure and scrutiny on security. So that's a lot more going into the design of solutions and security, you know, as actually a Zarina article, DoD CIO, it's the four, top four priorities, cybersecurity is one of them. So it's enterprise cloud, cybersecurity. So it's obviously top of mind for every federal agency. Hopefully it was, right? If you you, you said cyber's fifth or sixth, maybe a little worrisome. (laughs) So,
1: So one thing that this is all leading down to is, and I think both of you have put a finer point on this is, and really the focus of our show is cybersecurity is a shared responsibility. So what about that model, right? As we said earlier, you can't just trust the cloud provider to give you all the cyber you need and you can't not not trust the cloud provider because then you get stuck with everything on-prem because why don't trust the cloud so so maybe uh dave talk a little bit about that shared responsibility piece and specifically what should agencies keep in mind so the big thing is
2: to kind of analyze your vendors and analyze where their security stops and when your security starts A lot of the time, security is the big buzzword, insider threat is the big buzzword, and everybody has a security and an insider threat product. But the real truth is, can your vendor outline specifically, here's what we do for you, here's how we can help, but here is where you need to take control and ownership. Define that and make sure you educate your users in that personal responsibility area as well. Um, Because if you're using bring your own devices and stuff like that, you need to make sure there's a good education for everybody, specifically the top, right? The the top of your organization tends to be the busiest. They tend to not be able to take the training or when they do, it's kind of an ad hoc, but they're the ones that are targeted the most. Their names are are a Google search away from being targeted. And though them and their families are at risk, and just making sure there's a broad education. And a common understanding of what's where your responsibilities start is really what matters.
1: Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix, on federalnewsradio.com and part of the Federal News Network.
3: Eight years after the Federal Cloud First initiative, a certain universal truth has emerged. Success in cloud is not a one-size-fits-all proposition. A recent survey revealed that 59% of federal agencies plan to increase their use of private cloud over the next two years. Results from that same survey noted that organizations, organizations realize the greatest cost savings and IT agility when using a hybrid cloud model. Nutanix gives agencies the freedom to manage hybrid cloud complexity with ease. With the enterprise cloud, you can combine the agility and simplicity of the public cloud with the security and control you need in a private cloud. No more lock in spiraling costs, and data governance issues. To learn more about how Nutanix can free you from IT complexity, visit Nutanix.com freedom.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix, on federalnewsradio.com and part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guests today are Dan Fallon, the Director of Engineering for Nutanix, and Dave Reber, the Director of Cybersecurity for Nutanix Frame. You bring up a really interesting point about educating at the top. And it's, it's, a, it's almost like a top-down, bottom-up. I mean, it's got to be both ways. Do you get from your experience working with federal customers, working with even private sector customers, do you get a sense that the top, the CEOs, the secretaries, deputy secretaries, the administrators, do they get it? Do they understand? Even after OPM, after all these breaches, do they still get that or are they still like, oh, it's it's cybersecurity, it's your problem? So this is where
2: when you look at the models, security is part of the culture of an organization, not a given team. When you outsource security, even to a dedicated shop, That's what they get. What I've seen with some federal agencies, they're starting to build security into the teams themselves, push them out so that they're part of the solution set delivering. What I'd say from a top down is it always, what's the emergency that week, that day, that month is when they'll focus on it, they'll put a lot of money into it. They'll buy some security tool to help them. But what they really need to realize is it's a constant evolution of combination of training, technology, people, and process And it starts with them. They're typically the first ones to grant a waiver for themselves. (laughs) And that's where they need to recognize when they have strong leaders surrounding them that push back and encourage their people to kind of educate them to make the right decision. Because sometimes waivers are okay. Sometimes it's not.
1: Dan, jump in because one of the things that, this all leads us down the path, is what happens in the aftermath, right? You're going to get hacked. You're going to get attacked. Someone's going to click on a link, no matter how much training we do. And until we really get to this idea of a zero trust model, which is just beginning to kind of take hold throughout the government, there's there's a, a incident disaster response, if you will. Maybe talk a little bit about from a Nutanix perspective, from your experience perspective, where does how, how do you kind of deal with the aftermath?
0: You know, just to highlight a couple of the recent points made, you have to be ever vigilant because they only have to get in one time, one you know, one link click. They're they're in the network, so that's why it's just an ongoing task to, for education in the security model. You know, it is a matter of not if, but when. So, have to have that plan. A lot of it goes into the the upfront security plan, um, but also the continuous monitoring um, and the way we've shifted our security models to be more of a continuous posture than in every three years we'll audit the network and oh, that's when we'll have the fire drill. It's got to be a continuous, continuous thing to, to catch the incident because that's a, another concern is a lot of these occurrences, it's how far after the fact was it actually noticed. So to be able to stop it as soon as it happens and prevent the spread and f- prevent the damage and then have a plan in place and what we were talking about in the last segment of what do you do when your server or your network or your private cloud or public cloud has been compromised? you have to be able to continue services but take that segment offline. And that's that's tough. I think a lot of agencies have not planned for that. How do they continue providing services without just pulling everything offline like OPM had to do during their breach? And that's really where this whole discussion of, and to tag it back to the beginning, multi-cloud comes in, when you have a disaster
1: recovery situation. And again, it can go back to uh, Dave's example of the hurricane forced an agency or organization to move from one data center to the next, or one part of the country to the next, can they move with it? The disaster recovery is the same thing. When a part of your network has to be taken offline or, or pulled down, by having that multi-cloud approach, Dan, jump in. You're the expert. I'm not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll uh, highlight a couple things and then uh, turn it over to Dave. And yeah, having a plan. A DR is always undervalued, underemphasized. It's kind of the first thing cut from the budget, even though many of the federal compliance, you know, there's DR requirements. Uh, depends what level of application level of compliance, but most of them have some type of DR call out. And But it's the first thing cut because they're like, oh, you only need it when something really bad happens, but that's when you really need it. Yeah. I mean, I think planning in with the advent of public cloud, there's a lot more flexibility. You don't have to own an entire new data center. You don't have to own physic- physically second site. So you can now have the capability to spread your assets, spread your services across multiple clouds, have one on-prem, have one off-prem or even even more. I mean, when I talk to agencies, a lot of times when they're talking about just starting cloud, they're actually looking at putting a third leg into the public cloud. So how do I have additional resiliency, start to get comfortable with cloud and make that my DR site? So I think just because Frame actually bounces across multiple clouds, I know Dave has some experience on how to handle that. All right, Dave, jump in. Yeah, so one of the big things that I found in cybersecurity is
2: both the security teams tend to, and, and the implementers tend to look at security, don't let perfection be the enemy of good enough. They try, when you're talking about DR, they're focused both on recovery time objectives and recovery point objectives. And when you f- try to swallow it all together at once, it tends to put you out months to years or you never get to do it. Versus looking at how can we take advantage of, of cloud technology and have something ready to at least allow us to operate and we'll deal with our data problem later. Or at least we know we can get our data back and if the service is offline, it's not not that big of an issue. And that's where when like a lot of our customers, we work with them specifically at Frame is to try to right, get them on board with, right, help them with their basics, help them with basic DR capabilities or basic resiliency. And then when you start there, then you can expand into your broader coverage because, and that's what the cloud allows you to do. It allows you to start even if it's an experiment and quickly expand to thousands and thousands of nodes, right? Whatever's available in that data center to be able to take and allows you to do that. And you don't want to wait till a disaster to do it. And that's where you can focus on what is good enough to start, because I bet that's better security posture than you have today.
1: And That's the biggest difference that I've seen is this idea that people and specifically agencies have come to terms that, that, Amazon or Microsoft or Google or Salesforce or Nutanix or whomever are putting better security in than they could ever do. And once and once you've seen agencies come around to that, they can then more easily kind of jump in with both feet with uh, up to their neck in cloud, whereas some of these other agencies who kind of dip their toe in and, and kind of test the water. This has been a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix, on federalnewsradio.com and part of the Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. Let me thank my guest, Dan Fallon, the Director of Engineering for Nutanix. Dan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And Dave Reber, the Director of Cybersecurity for Nutanix Frame. Dave, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search IT Innovation Insider.
3: Thank you for listening to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix on the Federal News Network. Today's episode could be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword NTNX.